You are now listening to The Sexy Escort Guide, discussing everything fascinating about the world of paid companionship. And now, here is your sexy host, Exotic Vivian. Hey guys, welcome to episode 94 of The Sexy Escort Guide podcast. I am your host, Vivian, and today we're going to be speaking once again with companion taxes, Eric Polasek. We're going to be discussing everything you need to prepare for taxes this year, 2022, because, you know, there's some new tax stuff that we probably need to pay attention to or even stuff that we didn't know before. Also, the controversial question of whether or not hair, makeup, lingerie, and nails are tax deductible. Listen up for this answer, and it might shock you. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our diamond sponsor, Companion Tax and Accounting Services. You've heard us interview the owner, Mary Lee, on episodes 7, 36, and 58. Companion Tax really knows their stuff, and I, Vivian, can personally vouch for them. They are the professionals you need to hire to handle all of your tax accounting and business needs. Companion Tax was created specifically with us companions in mind. It doesn't get any more niche than that. They have been in business since 2011 and have become a leading resource for the community. Although based in South Florida, they are licensed in all states. You can visit them at companiontax.com and fill out the new client information form to get started and take charge of your financial future. Hello, Eric. Welcome back. Hi, Vivian. Great to be here again. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, um, we definitely need you back to help us out so the IRS doesn't come for us. No problem. That's what I'm here for. But before we jump into the show, let's just do a brief introduction for those who are listening to this for the first time. Please tell us who you are and why we should listen to you when it comes to taxes for hoes. My name is Eric Polasek. I work uh, for Mary Lee Miller EA LLC, although actually I should change that. Now proud owner of Mary Lee Miller EA LLC. Yeah, she's retiring. Yeah, she's going into semi-retirement. She's still going to be around. You know, she's not leaving entirely, but she's earned some time off. So she wants to take it. So I'm stepping in. So my qualifications, I hold an enrolled agent's license. That's a, a license through the IRS that gives me the ability to represent taxpayers pretty much all the way through up to the tax court. The IRS's designation that I, I'm an expert in taxation. I also graduated with my bachelor's degree in general business and finance. So let's jump right in. Tax season 2022. I'm sure there have been some new stuff come up. And as you know, they're forever doing stuff with the IRS codes. Can we just start with what information we need to get started? Like if somebody was coming to you uh, fresh and they want to hire you to do their taxes, what information do you need from them? The first place we need to start, you know, because most clients are self-employed. So first thing that you need to get together is your profit and loss or, you know, your income and expenses. You know, you need to have that summarized for the tax year that we'll be preparing. For most of my clients, this is the hardest thing to get together because Let's face it, you know, back end bookkeeping work is not everyone's forte. Most of my clients are focused on making money. Accounting for it just isn't 
in the forefront of most people's minds, but it comes into play during tax time. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And the best advice that I can give for that is, you know, you can, it's all about consistency, you know, being consistent about keeping track of your books and getting an early start on it. A lot of times people don't even think about tackling it until January, and then they're going through 12 months worth of bank statements, credit card statements, PayPal, Venmo, you know, trying to trace everything and get it together. You're going to be far better off, as unfun as it might be, that during throughout the year, you know, set aside a little bit of time each month to go, let no more than a month or two go by before you start looking at your books. That way, your transactions are still going to be fresh in your memory. It'll be a lot easier to go ahead and uh, keep track of everything. Yeah, I know. It's easier said than done, though. That's why I finally decided to hire a bookkeeper, as you know. Yeah, as I know, which brings me to point two. That being said, there does kind of reach a point where, you know, if you're earning very well, hire a bookkeeper. When you compare the cost of a bookkeeper to normally what, you know, your earnings are, you know, it's a very small percentage. The expense is worth it. That way you free your time up to, one, focus on aspects of your business where you maybe excel a little bit more. And two, you know, with a, a bookkeeper, you can rest easy that they're going to have a pulse on your finances and they're also going to be making sure that you're maximizing your deductions. You know, they have a better idea of what will pass with the IRS, what won't. And as your transactions come through in QuickBooks or whatever system they have you on, you know, they'll make sure that it's accounted for. So in the long run, you know, it's a very good investment in your business. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, for someone like me who now has a few businesses going and quite a few transactions going, you know, back and forth. I just, you know, decided, okay, fine. I will bite the bullet and go ahead and do it. But if you're just starting out and you don't really have that many expenses, then as Eric says, stay on top of your books. Like every month at the end of the month, reconcile all your shit. So that way you're not like, don't be like me and wait till the end of the year. <laughs> To like try to like get your shit together. But yeah, what else? Beyond that, that's going to be the biggest piece of the puzzle as far as preparing your return. Then you're going to be looking out for tax documents. And most of these, don't worry if you're not seeing them in January. Most of these aren't going to start coming out until the very end of January and most likely the first couple of weeks in February. But, you know, just a quick rundown. You know, if you do have kind of a day job, you know, you'll be looking out for a W-2 from your employer. The next most common documents that you'll receive are the 1099s. And this can be like a 1099 DIV, a 1099 INT. You might receive a 1099B. What these are reporting is they're reporting income from the issuing agencies. Like 1099 DIV is dividend income that a bank or an institution might have paid you. Definitely have a lot of those. You sure do. You sure do. <laughs> you know, and then there's also things like 1099Gs. Um, you know, a lot of clients over the last two years, obviously with everything that's going on, you know, there was a lot of unemployment claims. So if you had any unemployment, that's reported on a, a 1099G. So that would be the next class. Then there's another group of 1099s. 1099 NEC, that's N is in Nancy, E is in Echo, uh, C is in Charlie. 
that's your non-employee compensation. You know, if you did any side work for OnlyFans, you know, some of those platforms, you're most likely going to receive a 1099 NEC. And that's just reporting the compensation that they paid to you. Speaking of OnlyFans, I definitely need to go log in to see where mine is because I don't think I got one from them yet. Oh, you got to get on them. Yeah, those should be issued by now. Yeah, it's probably something where we have to log into the website to look at it, I think. They should have sent it to you. They really should have issued you a paper one. Most places have, but yes, if it you know got lost or you haven't seen it by this point, most of them make them available online too. So log on to your account, usually around settings, or there should be some tab, you know, maybe statements where there'll be a link to your tax documents and you can pull it up there as well. Also, side note, I know with OnlyFans, some of the other websites, don't miss out on this deduction. The 1099 NEC is going to report what you actually, you know, what actually got paid out to you. A lot of clients miss that you want to take what's actually reported on your 1099 NEC and look at, usually I think OnlyFans has a screen, an earnings screen where it shows you what your gross was. The difference between your gross and what you took home is the commission essentially that you paid to OnlyFans. So that's an expense. You know, what cut that OnlyFans took from your earnings, that's a business deduction. I mean, I'm not making that much with OnlyFans, but I'll still take it. Take anything you can. And then finally, last one in this category, you know, 1099K, you know, if you are taking any kind of credit card transactions, 1099K might get issued to you. That's just reporting any kind of payments that were made to you via credit card. Let's see, other things that you can be a lookout for. Oh, cryptocurrency transactions. This is a really big issue. It's a couple of years in the making. It's not going away anytime soon. If you use platforms like Robinhood, there's a couple of others. They're starting to get a little bit better about most of the time, if you've had any kind of cryptocurrency transactions, they're going to issue you a 1099B. It's the same kind of form that's used to report stock transactions if you're buying and selling stocks. But they're going to issue that to you. If not, if you're on a wallet or an exchange where, you know, uh, where they're not issuing that document, even though they should, because again, it's kind of the wild, wild west out there still, you're still going to want to find some way. There's third-party websites, Coin Trackers, one, I believe Coinly is another one. Some of them have like a free program. Some of them charge you. Mary Lee actually told me about the coin tracker, which I signed up for. So Fantastic. And that's a good one. Oh, and um, just sidebar, I did log into OnlyFans just now. And the place to download your 1099 is under banking. And it's at the very top of the page. It says to download 1099 form, click here, which I just downloaded. So I will upload that to Mary Lee. No, that's wonderful. Look, look at that. Real-time fact-finding on this show. <laughs> Real-time, baby. The thing with crypto, too, is you know, you, even if you're not issued the tax form, which makes it nice and neat, you still want to put in the effort to go ahead and track those transactions. Because for the past couple of years, there's a little checkbox question on every tax return that says, you know, did you buy, sell, exchange, yada, 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 cryptocurrency during this tax year? The reason the IRS put it on there is because it's basically a gotcha question. 
what they're looking for is they might not catch it now, but if down the road, you know, you marked no because you maybe were on one of these exchanges and didn't think that they would catch it, basically they have grounds to say you lied on a federal form and can take action against you that way if it were ever to come out later on down the road. Sounds about right for them. But, you know, the bottom line is, you know, it went unreported for years. They're wising up to it. So, you know, they're putting the question out there. And, you know, right now it is the responsibility of the taxpayer that if you had any crypto, you know, activity, the safe thing to do is you're going to want to start reporting it. So... Funny thing is, chances are you probably didn't make any money anyway. Like, they can't charge you on no money. They just want to know what you're doing with crypto. They want to know what you're doing with it. And yes, I mean, you know, a lot of clients, you know, the amount is minimal. Mostly we're using it to pay for ads. Like, pretty much hoes are usually to pay for ads. Unless, you know, you're like some of us who, you know, buy some to hold so we can, like, try to increase it a little bit before we pay for ads, you're not really going to even incur any taxes. It really is ridiculous because, right, you're transacting it, you know, not as an asset or an investment. You know, it's essentially, as you said, you know, you're buying to purchase an ad and then it's going in the wallet and right out of the wallet. The transaction is happening so fast that, you know, you might be looking at a gain or a loss of a couple of cents. And after, you know, 50, 60, 100 transactions. I mean, we might only be talking about a capital gain or loss of, you know, five to $10, but you still have to report it. If that, but yeah. If that. No, but I'm just saying is so, you know, people don't get scared about, you know, getting charged taxes. You're probably not going to be charged if you're just using it to pay for ads. Correct. Correct. At that point, it's a compliance thing. It's not that you're going to owe, you know, that you're adding hundreds or thousands of dollars onto your tax bill. You know, you're just compliance reporting at that point. I don't want to, you know, bog down the the segment on on documents because that is boring as all get out. But, you know, just a few more critical ones to highlight and then we can kind of move on. Health insurance. You know, if you had health insurance through Obamacare, healthcare.gov, the website, and you received premium tax credit, you're going to receive a 1095A. They will mail one out to you, but you can also go onto the website into your account to pull it down. As far as health insurance goes, this is a really critical form. We can't complete your return without it because if you received advanced credits or if you just went through the marketplace in general, that form needs to be reconciled on your tax return. So that's a key one. Now, There is a 1095B and a 1095C. That's if you got health insurance either through an employer or Medicaid or an insurer but didn't go through the marketplace. I have my own insurance. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you want to retain it for proof of coverage, especially if you live in a state where, like California and Massachusetts, on the state level of mandated coverage. So you want to make sure that you have proof of coverage, but as far as completing your return, it's not as vital. But the 1095A absolutely is. Then as you had mentioned, you know, earlier uh, in the conversation, you know, the IRS does always like to throw, you know, a few new wrinkles. So new for tax season 22, there's two letters that they've been sending out. Letter 6419 and 6475. They're so creative. These letters are basically, if you received advanced child tax credit payments, 
they were issuing if you had children, you know, advanced payments of the uh, elevated tax credit for children. The 6419 is reporting that. And then the letter 6475 is reporting, you know, if you received your third stimulus payment, that's where that letter is reporting it. Those are important to go ahead and get to your tax preparer so that they can make sure that it's reported appropriately. And uh, if you didn't get your full share of what you should have had, you know, it's proof so that you can get a credit on your return. This is definitely a question that comes up a lot. And I guess we need to address it again. So that way we can kind of know, you know, which side of the law we're on. The hair, makeup, lingerie, and nails. Are those tax deductible? And why aren't they? Because that's some bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Before I get into this, I have to say, I'm just the messenger here at this one. What I'm about to say does not reflect my views because, you know, after being in this industry for long enough, you know, this is a major expense for y'all. I understand. Hair and makeup and lingerie and nails. Yes. (laughs) It's a huge expense. You know, it is necessary. I mean, I understand that. But, you know, I'm here. I'm here to deliver the news that will keep you on the right side and keep you safest as far as your return is considered. And the honest answer, I hear it a lot. You know, there is a lot of conflicting opinions on this. And depending if you're in adult films, there's a lot of preparers out there that say, well, you know, it's more of a gray area. But the bottom line is the U.S. tax court has repeatedly ruled that the cost of maintaining an appealing appearance are not deductible, even if you're, you know, a public personality, movie star, news anchor. Well, they suck. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> they suck. But what they determine is, you know, they. So what they basically are saying is, even though it might be part of your job, these expenses are of such an inherently personal nature that they can't qualify as a business deduction. I mean, but that doesn't really make any sense because like, okay, fine. If you want to say your day-to-day hair and makeup and lingerie and nails, fine. But what about for a photo shoot? If you weren't a hoe, you won't be doing a photo shoot for your advertising and you need hair, makeup, nails, and lingerie for that. Like, I don't understand why they can't separate, you know, the day-to-day from the, you know, okay, I have to do this for marketing. It's crazy, but, you know, like, let's take an example would be, so take makeup. You know, yeah, for a photo shoot, you could qualify it at a business deduction. But what it would have to be then is it would almost have to be exclusively for the photo shoot. So you would have to say, okay, I use this makeup for the photo shoot, took it off after the photo shoot, and I never applied it once after. Well, technically, you would hire a makeup artist. That's what most girls do. So that's perfect because you're only hiring her for that photo shoot. So instead of taking the makeup, you would want to expense the makeup artist. The other thing with this is, so when it comes to these expenses, you know, the the broad ruling by the IRS and the tax court, you know, is that these are not considered business expenses. Now, You could always argue, and there have been people in the past and a few victories that have argued that it was necessary for business and won, but you kind of come to the other side of the equation here on, for a lot of our clients, the ability to stay off the radar, 
this is not a fight, you know, a fight with the IRS is not really a priority for a lot of our clients. And, you know, while this represents a big expense for their business, I know very few clients that have the time, finances, energy, and desire to claim these kind of expenses on their return, run the risk of an audit or review, and then fight it to make a point. And I know that sucks because, you know, we would all like to be on the side of right and, you know, make a point and, you know, maybe change this way of thinking. But the simple fact of the matter is, you know, it's a deduction that no matter how much personal justification you might have for it, the going thought is it doesn't count. It does raise a red flag. You do put a risk on your return. And you know, is the result worth it? Is the lowering of taxes, you know, are you significantly lowering your taxes enough that you're willing to take this risk? Most of my clients, you know, when they frame it that way, no, you know, it's simply not worth it to shave, you know, a couple hundred, maybe a thousand dollars off of, you know, your tax bill. Yeah. I mean, I completely get it, I guess, as far as, you know, just do what you need to do to stay on the right side of the law, but it still sucks because, like, a lot of people, don't do these things normally. They're only doing it for their clients. But hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. That's the bad news. I mean, you know, every practitioner might be a little bit different, but the honest truth is these really aren't considered business deductions. And, you know, if you're putting it on your return, there is a risk there because it is a red flag. All right. So medical expenses. Okay. This is another one that I get. So there seems to be a common thought out there that medical expenses are a business deduction, and they're not. I'm not having a good podcast, am I, Vivian? This is a lot of bad news. It's not your fault. I mean, it's the IRS's fault. Certain health insurance expenses can be qualified as a, a business deduction, but personal medical bills are not a business deduction. They're a personal expense. And I guess one thing you have to understand is on your return, you know, you have your business expenses and deductions, which are reported on a, a Schedule C. And then even if you're taking business deductions, every taxpayer, there's also another kind of deduction, uh, either a standard deduction or an itemized deduction. Standard deduction is just that. It's a set deduction that any taxpayer can get, and it's based on your age and filing status. So you know, for this tax year, if your filing is single, your standard deduction comes out to $12,550. So you take that in addition to business expenses. Itemized deductions are things like, you know, medical expenses, mortgage interest, property taxes, charitable deductions. Those are itemized deductions. That's when medical expenses would come into play. Now, years ago, before the Tax Cuts and Job Act passed, it was about maybe 60-40, 50-50 as far as taxpayers that took itemized deduction versus the standard deduction. When they changed the tax code a few years back, I rarely see any client that has enough what would be considered itemized deductions that the amount of their itemized deductions would exceed the standard deduction. They just raised the standard deduction for everybody so high that very few people would now do an itemized deduction. So if you're not itemizing deductions, one, that takes medical expenses out of the equation in the first place. The second thing that's kind of tricky that not a lot of people understand is that 
you don't get to take all of your medical expenses straight. Medical expenses are subject to a threshold, which means that you know, if you were taking itemized deductions versus standard deductions, the threshold is 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. And basically what that is, your adjusted gross income is what your income is after you add it up from all income sources, less your business expenses. Whatever that number is, you multiply it by 7.5%. Until your medical expenses exceed whatever that number is, they don't count. You know, if your AGI was $100,000 and, you know, that would mean your threshold is 7,500. So until your medical expenses exceeded 7,500, none of them would be deductible. That's crazy. So you must really have like a major thing going on because nobody's going to incur $7,500 in a year. 100%. And even without insurance, it's not going to be 7,500. Correct. You have to have had some pretty major things going on during the tax year in order for the medical expenses to start qualifying and actually doing you any kind of good on your taxes. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I still get that a lot. You know, I will inevitably on a tax return, or I mean, on clients' income and expenses or profit and loss, there'll be medical expenses, you know, doctor visits, dental, you know, anything like that. Unfortunately, I always have to give the bad news of, I'll put this on your Schedule A, you know, we'll see if it counts and you have enough itemized deductions for it to actually count, but it's not a business expense. Okay. Can we deduct tax or estimated tax payment? And short answer is no, you cannot. (laughs) We can't do nothing. You can't do nothing. Listen, the IRS wants their cut and they're not nice about, you know, giving you, (laughs) you you know, uh, deductions. See, this is why I wait to pay my taxes at one time. I don't do the whole pay quarterly, even though they say you should. I'm like, fuck you guys. <laughs> and good segue into the next one. But yeah, the, the short answer is, you know, that for it to be considered a business expense, the expense has to be ordinary and necessary to do business. The IRS doesn't look at taxes as necessary. That's just a product of doing business and earning um, income. Yes, it is. It is necessary. If we don't pay, we go to jail. Like what? Exactly. But <laughs> that's not their view. So yeah, unfortunately, those tax payments that you're making, you know, they don't count. Now, separately, not to be confused, we're talking about, you know, the income tax, you know, payments. Now, if you have licenses, you know, if you have things like that, state filing fees, you know, to, you know, for either business licenses, or if you have an LLC, you know, maybe you have an annual fee with the state to, you know, renew your information and submit that annual filing, those kind of things would be considered a business expense. So you can go ahead and do that. But your income tax payments, whether it's on the federal or state level, estimated or actual, those aren't deductible. Well, <laughs> boo. Okay. And then lastly, estimated tax payment. How are they calculated? What happens if you don't pay? So, you know, as you said, if you're, before I get into how they're calculated, just, you know, to understand, everybody thinks April 15th, you know, it's tax day and that's when taxes are owed. But, you know, if you're a W-2, you know, if you get a paycheck, as all of us probably did at one point, not me, but go on. 
Yeah, taxes are actually, they're constantly being taken out. The U.S. is actually a pay-as-you-go system, which means that, you know, the taxes, if you're on, you know, a salary or a W-2, you know, you're always getting those taken out. Every pay period, you know, you're seeing that stub with your gross pay, the taxes they took out, and what you're actually taking home. Obviously, when you're self-employed, that's not happening. You're not on a payroll. Those taxes aren't being deducted. So the IRS would like you and says that you should make those quarterly estimated tax payments. How those are calculated, there's a couple of different ways, but the safest and the one that most people use is basically whatever, it's 100% of whatever your tax liability was for the year that you're filing. So, you know, let's take this tax year for an example. You know, if your taxes owed for 2021 wound up being, you know, $12,000, you would essentially take that number, divide it by four, and then your estimated tax payments for 2022 would be $3,000 each. Fairly straightforward. And I will want to put in here, if you do elect to make your estimated tax payments, I get the question a lot, well, what if I owe less taxes than what I paid in estimated tax payments? I want to reassure you that money is not lost. It will come back to you. Only they don't pay you interest, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. They don't pay you interest. It's essentially refunded. So if you overpaid on your estimated tax payments when you file your tax return next year, you would have the option of either, you know, getting that money refunded back to you or applied towards, you know, next year's taxes owed. If we don't pay on time, we get penalized with interest. Well, if we give them too much, we get nothing. Lovely. Uncle Sam just thanks you for the loan. <laughs> oh, geez. It's a little bit one-sided of a system. I think we all know that. Yeah, unfortunately. All right. so. Did you already talk about what happens if you underpay? Well, if you underpay or if you decide you don't want to pay your estimated taxes, which you know, wouldn't put you in a minority, to tell you the truth, a lot of people do that. So if you don't pay your estimated tax payments, first, I want to assure you, you're not taking any kind of criminal action. You're not painting a target on your back that's going to put you under heavy scrutiny for you know the IRS next year. Nothing like that. but. Some things to keep in mind that, you know, are going to happen if you don't make your estimated tax payments. One, you're going to be looking at a larger bill in April. If you're self-employed and you're not making estimated tax payments, I mean, you're going to owe taxes. So it's the question of, would you rather be paying a little bit towards the taxes owed throughout the course of the year and breaking it up into smaller chunks? Or do you want to be faced with a larger bill, you know, come tax day? I mean, I guess that makes sense. So it's kind of like you're making payments throughout the year instead of paying one large lump sum. The other thing that happens if you don't make your estimated tax payments, now, like I said, you know, it's not a criminal law that you're breaking, but you are going to get penalized as well. You know, on your tax return, they're going to assess an underpayment penalty. You know, it's not a flat fee. You know, how they calculate the underpayment penalty, it's calculated based on the outstanding amount owed, how long the amount has been overdue, and it's half of a percent of the underpaid amount capped at no more than 25% owed. That's the IRS speak. So I'll try to put it down a little bit more. It's very proportional to the amount of taxes that you owed. And again, you got to focus on the half a percentage point. So I mean, it's nothing 
massive. You know, most of the clients that I work with and myself included, the underpayment penalty is not so severe that it's ever factored into anybody's decision making as to whether or not they're going to do estimated taxes. So if you didn't do estimated taxes and then you file your taxes and, you know, let's say your bill is 10 grand and you pay it right away, you still are incurring that half a percentage for not estimating it. Right. Because, you know, let's say it's 10 grand, but what the IRS is going to say is you should have made a $2,500 payment for the first quarter, the second quarter, the third and the fourth, and you missed those payments. So you're going to be assessed the underpayment penalty, you know, on whichever estimated tax payments you missed, even if you pay it all on time, you know, when you file your tax return, even if you pay that whole lump sum, the IRS is going to say, well, because you didn't make the estimated tax payments, you underpaid. It's still worth it. Fuck the IRS. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, again, considering, you know, they're not paying you interest on the money you loan them. What you said reflects the attitude of most taxpayers. I would rather have the money in my pocket. I'll give it to you. Exactly. Earning interest, doing other things than giving you a loan and not getting any kind of benefits for it. Bastards. Correct. And then, you know, it's essentially at that point, the underpayment penalty becomes the price of doing business. Okay. Well. One last quick point on the uh, estimated, and this is actually probably the most critical. One thing you do want to consider, if you are under an installment agreement with the IRS or planning on asking for one because of taxes owed, you do run the risk if you're not making estimated tax payments of jeopardizing your installment agreement. The IRS you know, hasn't been as good lately as enforcing this, but the language in the installment agreements when they go into it with you basically says that you are going to not only make your payments, but make sure that you know, you're fulfilling your tax obligations, which estimated tax payments would be part of it going forward. And the reason that they word it that way and they structure it is they don't want you to constantly basically be in a, a repeating cycle of every tax season, you know, having a large amount of taxes owed, trying to roll it into an installment agreement, and then perpetually kicking the can down the road. They want to see that you're going to pay off the taxes that you currently owe, but are also making plans to get ahead of the taxes going forward. So that's why they kind of sneak that into the installment agreement language. Always sneaking stuff in. But, you know, it is something to be aware of if you find yourself in that situation. Again, you're not in the best tax position or finances if you're asking for an installment agreement. And now on top of paying what you owe, what you might owe in back taxes, they're also asking you to pay money towards future taxes because we're all made of money. What else have we got to do? <laughs> yeah, they think we're all made of money. Is there anything else, like a, one last tip you will live with our listeners about filing your taxes this year? Yes. If you care about your tax preparedness at all, sooner rather than later, please don't wait until April 1st to remember that you have taxes due and start sending in your information. If you can, any tax preparer will tell you. So if you have it ready, send it on in. Awesome. And where can people reach you to contact you for hiring you for their taxes? Our website is www.companiontax.com.
or you can give us a call. Uh, phone number is 954-320-7576. Thank you so much, Eric, for coming back and, you know, giving us knowledge so we don't get got by the IRS. And hopefully you'll be back and we can talk more tax stuff because, you know, we all love it so much. <laughs> we go from the most wonderful time of the year to the least wonderful time of the year. But yes, uh, Vivian, thank you so much for having me on the show. Always a pleasure speaking to you. Happy to help out the listeners. You know, hopefully, you know, this information will be useful. Definitely look forward to when I can come back again. Perfect. All right. Well, I will let you go because I'm sure you have many tax returns to file and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Vivian. Talk to you soon. Take care. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at TSEG Podcast and on Instagram at TSEGP. Join our Patreon page for exclusive videos on dating, sugaring, and freestyling tips for both the gentlemen and ladies. Patreon.com forward slash TSEGP. Follow your host Vivian on Twitter and Instagram at Exotic Vivian. Please leave the show a five-star rating on iTunes. Until next time, keep it sexy and stay receptive.